in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Jonathan Strickland. I am one of the two hosts of this podcast. The other host of this podcast is Lauren Vogelbaum, and that is the person speaking right now, in case you didn't figure that out. All right. Awesome. We've got that under control. So today we wanted to focus on another personality in technology. Uh, you know, we did an episode not that long ago where we talked about the internet darling Tesla. Tesla! And today we're going to talk about a guy who runs a company called Tesla. Mr. Elon Musk. Yeah, Elon Musk. And uh, he's sort of... He's 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 an interesting iconic figure, I would say. He's he's a wee bit like Tony Stark. Yeah, a little he's, bit like Tony Stark, a little bit like Steve Jobs, a mm-hmm. little bit like uh well, uh, one uh Esquire article I read said that it was uh a bit Tony Stark and a bit Donald Trump. Huh, okay. Yeah. And supposedly he's actually friends with the director of the current uh uh Iron Man movies and that they sort of based that character a tiny bit on him. Interesting. I have never met the man, so I am going to try my best to not make any sort of uh, editorial editorial Mm -hmm. assumptions. Um, I say try because there are certain things about this man's life that I find uh, particularly interesting, and it might be difficult to avoid editorializing because... I'm an opinionated idiot. Uh, well, but, but like, like, like many big famous billionaires who have started really fascinating companies that, you know, go into space and create fancy electric vehicles. You know, like all of those people in the yeah, world. Yeah. <laughs> all those, those other guys. He's, he, he's a very driven, very, very big personality. He's yeah. a sort of nerd rock star. Yeah. And and that's, that's why we're doing this profile on yeah, him. Yeah. It's, it's, there's, and there's some great articles that are out there. Uh, Lauren, you pointed me to one on Forbes. Uh, there's a, an Esquire profile that is phenomenal. There's some great information out there if you really want to know about this guy's life. We're going to give you kind of an overview. And we also want to point out we're not going to dive too deeply into each of his, uh, ventures because because frankly, they would each, you know, merit, Require, their, merit their own podcast. Yeah. So, so maybe maybe later for all that, and I would I would really love to because I didn't I, I honestly had to keep tearing myself away from everything that SpaceX is doing, and I would love to revisit that. Right, and we should also point out we're recording this just a few days after another SpaceX launch. There was a Falcon 9 uh, launch vehicle that launched a Dragon spacecraft uh, out to uh, rendezvous with, with the, the International Air. Space Station, mm-hmm. which it, it did. It successfully docked. It's the first uh, private vehicle, I believe, to successfully. Yeah, it's done this before. This is not the first time that the Dragon spacecraft has done it, but it is the Dragon spacecraft was the first private uh, spacecraft to dock with the International Space Station. Right, right. Um, this came with the headline, Happy Birthday, Birth, B-E-R-T-H. Uh-huh. Aha. Well, and, and that that was that was a big deal because uh, uh, while the launch went th- went uh, fairly well, like there wasn't anything majorly wrong with the launch, it was discovered pretty soon after the launch that not all of the systems aboard the Dragon spacecraft were working properly, and there was some question for a while as to whether or not they would be able to dock with the International Space Station. But we'll get into that, yeah, or at least mention it again. Uh, let's start. With his birth, the, the Elon Musk's birth, which was on June 28th, 1971 in Pretoria, South Africa. Yeah, uh, I, I, I love the South African accent. Yeah. Yeah, I can't do it other than say South Africa. That's about <laughs> as close as I can get. Uh, so I apologize to all South Africans out there. But, um, he, his father, Errol, 
was uh, an engineer, and his mother May was a, a nutri- uh, still is a nutritionist and model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she yeah she's a, a very popular model actually. There's yeah. I, I looked up a couple pictures of her and I was like, oh, I know that lady. Yeah, she's still modeling today. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, and uh, he has siblings. He's got a brother named Kimball and a sister named Tosca, and. Um, his childhood uh, was a little rough. I mean, for one thing, he, he was growing up in South Africa, which, uh, for those who don't know, it, it's an area that has a history with with some big social problems, including Absolutely. things like violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, apparently bullied at school quite a bit. Um, his brother Kimball has said that he was he got to a point where he really hated the idea of going to school. He loved learning. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk has always shown that he just, he devours information. Oh, right, right. Well, I, and I think I, I read one thing from, I, I think it was from his brother Kimball saying that, that Elon cr- tended to correct people factually, even when he was a child. Yeah. And that that maybe is what led to some of that bullying. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was one of those things where, it, from Elon's point of view, he wasn't trying to behave in a way that was superior to other people, mm-hmm. but rather that, oh, you made a mistake you probably don't want to do that. Right. Here, I will Let help me... you. Right. But the problem is that when you help people by pointing out they make mistakes, they can get a little They might grouchy. not like you very yeah. well. And yeah. I've done the same thing, and I've had the same thing done to me because I'm human. I make lots of mistakes. And, uh, yeah, it can get pretty irritating. And yet I still do it when to other people. It's, I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so – he had a kind of rough childhood. At eight, when he was eight years old, his well, depending upon how you read the story, because he's also a fairly private man mm-hmm. about his own personal details. Uh, his either his father left, or his mom took the kids and left. But in either case, he no longer was having day to day contact with his dad. Okay, at eight years old, uh, and he very much wanted to get out of South Africa. Uh, when he was 17 years old, he left South Africa for Ontario, Canada. Uh, his mother was a Canadian national, by the way. So, yes. Um, uh, and and the, the story goes that he mostly left because he was um, fleeing compulsory service in the South African Defense Force. Yes. And that specifically he was doing it not because he really objects to military service, but he objected to the kind of military service that they were engaging in, a.k.a. oppressing black people. Right, yes. That was his... His stance on the military has been that he's pro-military when it is, quote, in the service of good. Um, and so he, you know, you could draw the conclusion that he saw South Africa's military as being uh, not aligned with that. Mm-hmm. And so he did not want to participate. Also, I have read that he had aspirations to become an American citizen early, early on. He really wanted to be an American, but he also thought that it would be easier to become an American if he first went to Canada, went to Canada. and became a Canadian citizen. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, at 17, oh, and- he leaves for Ontario. Yeah, oh, I was I was going to say I wonder if if part of part of that um, ambition to be an American was was I, he was a very enterprising child. He he had written a a code for a video game called a uh, Blast Star, I believe, that he yeah. sold to a computer mag for uh, five hundred bucks, which isn't bad when you're say uh, twelve. Yeah, yeah, he he was uh, and and that was one of those things. He he was immediately interested in computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had begged his family to get a computer essentially as soon as personal computers became a thing, and uh, and yeah, he he just. You know, soaked it up. It was one of those things that he really had an affinity for. He tried to open an arcade. I read with uh, with his brother when he was <laughs> yeah, thirteen or story. fourteen. Uh, they, they they abandoned the plans when they realized that they would uh, have to get an adult signature to obtain a permit to open this arcade. So they wound up just making homemade chocolate and selling it to their classmates instead. Yeah, essentially, the story I read says that he and his brother 
without any permission on the part of their parents, decided to have this plan to make an arcade. Then they ran into the problem that they would require this adult signature <laughs> and realized that this was not going to work out. And so essentially they, you know, they, they hit a, a, a bureaucratic uh, <laughs> obstacle. And then the, their parents were furious when they found out that these two kids had just actually, I guess mom mainly was furious that these, these kids had decided to and just often started a business, start a business, you know, on their own without mm-hmm. any adult supervision. Now, granted, of course, it didn't go very far in that case. But, um, yeah, it shows that uh, Musk was not really uh, interested in having to get permission to do things, All right. which it's, um, it's becomes a, bit- a running theme in his life. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, he, he went to school. Uh, well, he had relatives in Canada because his mom was from Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he goes over to Canada and he enrolls in school in Queen's University. And uh, he starts studying uh, physics there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he ends up uh, transferring as well to the University of Pennsylvania and uh, gets degrees in uh, in physics and in business. He actually gets two different bachelor's degrees. Here's a quote from him. My areas of interest was cross-disciplinary, focused on the physics of high-energy density capacitors, which is a mixture of quantum physics and materials science, plus business. Um, <laughs> while he was in college, he met a young lady. Uh, actually, this would be back in Queens University. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would eventually marry her. Uh, that young lady's name was Justine J. Wilson. So we'll talk about her in a couple of years. She's an <laughs> I believe, I believe she's a writer, a novelist, I was going to say. Yes, yes, and also a, a blogger as well. But yes, a, a novelist and a very interesting writer. I've, I've read some of her work, and uh, she turns a good phrase, I will say. I, I enjoyed reading what she had to write. Uh, so he went to school, graduated from the University of Pennsylvania with the degrees in physics and business, and he began to work on ultra-capacitors at Pinnacle Research in Silicon Valley, and essentially, from what I understand, he was doing this so that he could understand their potential as an energy storage mechanism for electric vehicles. Because even at okay. that time, he was already interested in the idea of electric vehicles. Cool. Um, so he was going to go to uh, Stanford. Yeah, yeah. He was accepted to Stanford for a grad degree. He dropped out, from what I read, after two days on campus. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, was, um, he, he had the opportunity to co-found a company. And the problem was that he did not have the time to devote both to graduate studies and to launch this this company uh, at the same time. And he asked to Stanford if he could get a deferral for a quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were on the quarter system. Sure. But yet he, he wanted to get one quarter deferral because, he said, he realized that startup companies have a habit of not always succeeding. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And he thought... Okay, if the company succeeds, I'm in great shape. But more likely than not, that company is not going to work out. It's just, you know, it'll maybe it's a timing issue or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'll just ask for a deferral, and that way I can really concentrate on this company for one quarter worth of time Mm -hmm. and then go back to school. He did not get that deferral. So really, it was an all or nothing. It was, you know, land land the ships on the shores of America and burn them. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's, I think that's the same year that that Netscape had just quintupled in value the day that it went public. And that was launched by someone who was even younger than than him at the time. Yeah. And that's, you know, yeah, the internet, man, the internet. Yeah. So the company he founded or co-founded back in 1995 was called Zip2. And it served as a platform for delivering ads and directories on the Internet. 
So he co-founds this company. He starts building it up, and it's doing really well. It starts to uh, increase in value year over year. And then um, he ends up marrying his college sweetheart, Justine J. Wilson. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, he marries her in 2000. And then he ends up, while he's engaged to her, actually, he ends up selling uh, Zip2 to Compaq. They bought the company for $307 million. Uh, In cash. And that was the biggest sum paid for an internet company ever at the time. And he got $22 of that. Yeah. So he was uh, 28 years old when that happened. So he became a millionaire overnight. Uh, Justine was was in a relationship with him at this time. She actually uh, has written about that in one of the articles, which I'll I'll cite a little bit later. Um, and so that was a, a phenomenal time. I mean, yeah. like it's transformative. He ended up, uh, m- they moved out of this uh, little apartment into a nice house and he got, um, a really, really fancy car, uh, a McLaren F1, which was the fastest production model car made. So it had the, the highest top speed of any production model car. So he, so he literally bought the fastest that he could possibly, yeah. yeah Going without. doors too, just like my favorite car in the world, the DeLorean. Uh, favorite for all the nostalgic reasons, obviously. It's, of course, if you yeah. look well, at performance, it's not that great of a car. Uh, I did a full episode about that. So we do have a DeLorean episode of tech stuff way back in the archives if you really want to listen to it. But, uh, he then, also founded a company that would eventually be called PayPal. Uh, he co-founded... Well, originally, it was it was called... Uh, the company that he founded was X.com. This yes. was in 1998. Um, it was an online financial services thing that uh, enabled people to make payments, first uh, first off, by via email. Yeah, it was, it was, again, a very disruptive business because it was an idea of... You know, there was this big notion of doing huge amounts of business online. Like, the Internet ha- held limitless possibility when it came to... Uh, conducting businesses. But one of the issues was how do you process payments? How do you create a payment system, especially when you're talking about uh, people uh, connecting with other people and wanting to transfer payments over the Internet without having a, a big company in between? Like, right. And and Musk said he a quote from him is that banks are terrible at innovation and financial services is a huge sector. So I thought, no, there should be something there. Yeah, so he did that. Uh, he The company acquired, actually kind of merged with another company called Confinity, and together they became PayPal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was where you had the online point-of-sale functionality that was so important for those those early days. I mean, it really uh, it meant that people who were selling things uh, personally could get paid for it without having to go through some other retailer to send their stuff to them and then get a cut of it. Uh, it, it, yeah, or, it, or even if you're providing a service, you know, for example, I, I do some freelance editing, and so if I want to do that, and I also want to get paid for it, then, uh, which I do. Yeah. So. Well, and then uh, that that company was bought by by a little company called eBay. Yeah, you and, might have uh, heard of them. Uh, at the time, Musk was the chief product officer and was also the largest shareholder in PayPal. And eBay paid them uh, 1.5 billion dollars. Yeah. So at this point, Musk goes from being uh, rich to, whoa! <laughs> is, is that the official term? Yeah. Scientific? Yeah. It was 2002 when eBay bought the company for $1.5 So he's been married for two years at that point. Uh, he experienced some tragedy in his life at this time as well, he and his wife. Uh, he and Justine had their first son, and their first son at 10 weeks old passed away from 
sudden infant death syndrome. Oh my goodness! Yeah, uh, and it was a it was obviously devastating for Justine. Uh, she says in an article that she wrote for Marie Claire that uh, Elon really internalizes mm-hmm. uh, things like loss. And so there wasn't a lot of outward emotion. Now, I am sure Mr. Musk uh, suffered you know, oh, unimaginable uh, loss at this. But but there wasn't a lot of outward sh- sign of that. Justine, on the other hand, was very expressive of her grief, mm-hmm. uh, as uh, as is understandable. But they ended up pursuing uh, some in vitro fertilization techniques so that they could have another child. And uh, they they had... Five of them. <laughs> they, they wound up with one set of twins and one set of triplets. Yeah, all boys. All boys. So all sons. Uh, and so it's a pretty amazing thing. And and we'll get more into his family in a little bit. Uh, it was around this time as well, after he was seeing this amazing amount of success and had reaped in quite a bit of, of money uh, from those early ventures, that he first started talking about the idea of privatized space exploration and that, in fact, he, he started chatting about this with a friend of his and they were, they were just talking about why was it so expensive to go out in space and how expensive could it be? And could a private company do this? I mean, is it, th- these were, uh, these were new conversations. Like, you know, before it was essentially governments that were sending up rockets. Oh, right. But, uh, but, but around this time was when, uh, you know, everyone was, was terribly losing funding. Yeah. They were having, you know, Elon Musk had, had this fascination with space exploration and some might call it an obsession with space exploration and the idea of eventually colonizing other planets or maybe a moon or something. Uh, Mars being one of those destinations that he's absolutely fixated upon. Mm-hmm. And so it began this this really passionate discussion about, well, if no one else can do it, why couldn't private individuals do it? And uh, the first company that he made to try and go after this goal was called Life to Mars. Life to Mars. Yeah, this was an idea that he had where the the goal would be to send a rocket with a payload that has some sort of life form on it. And uh, the the life form was a matter of debate. Uh, there was a point where it was going to be a mouse, and then there was a point where it was just going to be a plant. But the idea would be to send this thing to Mars as kind of an unmanned but life-bearing mission mm-hmm. uh, as a, a, a step toward the eventual landing on and possible colonization of Mars by uh, human beings. Yeah. Uh, he's, he said that... Um that uh, this is a direct quote. I'd put the extension of life to another planet slightly above the transition from life in the oceans to life on land. Yeah, he also said, "I've always thought that space is important to the future of humanity. I think it's important that we one day become a space-faring nation, and I just didn't see that happening by itself. I just didn't see that from Boeing or Lockheed or big aerospace companies. So that's why I started SpaceX. So if you heard about SpaceX, I mean that's that's the company that again Musk was behind." And uh, the early days of SpaceX were kind of interesting because at first he was thinking, you know, I got a lot of money mm-hmm. because <laughs> eBay bought my stuff uh-huh. uh, and not on, on an auction. It was like, you know, a company I made. So I'm going to take this here money and I'm going to buy myself some rockets. And that was originally his plan was that he was going to buy rockets. He wasn't he wasn't making a company to build stuff. He wanted to buy things. But then he realized that, that really you know, those other rockets were kind of crap. <laughs> well, beyond that. It was the people that were crap. Okay, this is this is according to the Esquire article, and uh, so full disclosure, 
This is just based upon what Musk's <laughs> experiences were. So Musk goes to Russia. Okay. Because Russia, as it turns out, had a pretty big um, supply of intercontinental ballistic missiles on its hands that no longer really needed any for any reason. And originally it looked like he would be able to purchase said missiles at $7 million a pop. Okay. So he thought, oh, well, that's, then that's pretty reasonable. I'll buy, I'll buy some ICBMs change. and I'll use that as my launch vehicle uh-huh. for, for whatever, you know, spacecraft I design. So, um, the story in Esquire tells tales of corruption and bribery and lots and lots of vodka. And, uh, and I'm not kidding. It really does. I mean, you, when you read this, it's both entertaining and kind of infuriating. Huh. Uh, but essentially, Musk felt like he was getting jerked around by the Russian officials that he was dealing with, uh, that, sure. that they would quote him one price. And when he was finally ready to move on it, that price would suddenly triple. Oh, so saying, wow. oh, no, yeah. no, no, not 21 million for three of them, 21 million for one. And so at that point, he said, that's it. I'm building my own. And he left. So he's like, so he, he decided at that point that SpaceX was going to manufacture its own rockets. And he started looking around for people who would help him do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those was a guy named uh, Thomas Mueller, who was an engineer, part of a group of people who were really kind of rocket enthusiasts. Uh, they called themselves the Reaction Research Society. Only Mueller was not like an amateur rocket scientist. He was an engineer with uh, Northrop Grumman. So he actually had a pedigree in oh, rocket wow. in yeah. rocket science. Yeah. Like when you say it's not rocket science, he says, no, it totally is rocket science. That's what I do. I am a rocket I'm scientist. A rocket scientist. Yes. Um, but he, he was the one that Musk contacted to be the guy to design the engine that he wanted to propel spacecraft into the stars, um, not literally into the stars, but into because space. that would be very yeah, that would be low low cost efficiency for you. Yeah, you don't yeah you don't get any reusability once you very shoot little. it off into the yeah. stars. And actually, he he thought that the reusability thing, and I think he still does, really argue that reusability is key to making. Uh, space travel uh, economic because right. uh, you know to to use these things one time and then have to build a new one is not efficient at all. Yeah, yeah, and and what he he's really arguing with SpaceX of about performance versus reliability, and says that what he's looking for is really reliability. He he said that he aspires for SpaceX to be the Southwest Airlines of space. Interesting. So he Musk was personally involved in the design of. Uh, two different launch vehicles that SpaceX developed. First was called the Falcon 1, and the second was the Falcon 9. And he was also instrumental in the design of the spacecraft, which they called Dragon, whereas Mueller designed the engine, which was called Merlin. Now, um, yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about SpaceX uh, some more in a second. But before we get into that, let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsor. All right, getting back into SpaceX. So... The early days of SpaceX did not go so well for uh, for Mr. Musk. Yeah, they had they had a bunch of of, of early failures. Um, yeah, uh, and and you got to understand like this this whole process of him searching out the possible sources for rockets, deciding to go with building rockets on his own, having to work with various vendors for the various parts that he needed to build the rockets. I mean, mm-hmm. the stories that uh, about him dealing with vendors are. Kind of like carbon copies of his experience with the Russians in the slightly sense- less vodka, perhaps, but otherwise yes. a little bit. Mm-hmm. In fact, Esquire says the exact same thing. Like it's not as much vodka, but otherwise very similar in the sense that he would get quoted one price and then uh, end up 
being told another when it was time to actually deliver and that his decision was, well, heck, I will find a way to do that on my own. He eventually started running into some hard obstacles that he couldn't easily get around. Like, where do you get your aluminum if they tell you that the price has gone up? Wow. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he, he was having to sink a lot of his money into this. So the success of this venture could have very much determined whether or not he would have uh, maintained his status as Internet billionaire or gone bankrupt. Right, because mo- he was yeah funding most of this himself. It wasn't, you know, I mean, he did have some money from investors at that yeah. time. He but- had, he had a, there was like $100 million of investment money. There was, and then later on, NASA would end up giving a huge contract. But uh, in those early days, nothing was certain. And, and three well-publicized failures, launch failures, did not help. The- yeah, the, the first one failed 29 seconds after liftoff. The main engine caught fire. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and apparently the, the ride home with Musk and Mueller in the same car oh. was intense. Mm. Yeah. Like, why did your engine catch fire? Intense? Like, like that. That is, that is a level of intensity that I've re- very rarely encountered in the workplace. I have to say, I gotta say, I've never been in a car that I think would have had that much tension in it. I mean, there's, there's one thing that comes to like, you should have turned back there, that level of tension, to uh-huh. your engine caught fire and my billion dollar industry may crumble as a result. That that's a whole whole different different level. Yeah. But then the second launch also suffered a failure and the third launch uh was particularly costly because the the um payload included stuff from NASA and the Department of Defense as well as uh the ashes of one James Dewan better known to some as Scotty from Star Trek. Yes, uh, literally irreplaceable. Yeah, as someone that uh, I had actually had the pleasure of meeting in person. Aww. Um, Aww. Yeah, uh, uh, full disclosure, had breakfast with the man. Very charming and entertaining guy. Uh, that was um, at a science fiction convention because my dad's a science fiction author. So yeah, when I heard about that failure, I thought, oh, that's that's just, that's, that's, so, that's personally, that's very sad. sad. Yeah, I mean, all of these, of course, are sad for the whole industry of private space exploration, right? Of course. Uh, it was putting all of that at risk. In fact, there were people who were already saying, oh, well, this is why there isn't private space yeah. exploration. It's, it's too hard. It's too hard. It's impossible. It, yeah, you just can't get the money and the, right. Yeah, so it was getting to the point where this, the, the fourth attempt was, was pivotal. It was sort of a make or break situation. If the, if the launch vehicle did not perform successfully, it might have meant that Elon Musk would have gone bankrupt. But it did successfully uh, launch. So then uh, that was pretty much the the beginning of the real SpaceX story. Uh, 2008, NASA awarded SpaceX a $1.6 billion contract for 12 cargo flights to and from the International Space Station. So essentially, at that point, SpaceX becomes the replacement for the space shuttle program. Right. So that, that ended up being discontinued. So it was the first private company to launch a private spacecraft that later docked with the International Space Station. And that, that first uh, successful docking was on May 25th, 2012. It has since repeated that. So it's slowly getting to its way of those 12 cargo flights. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it does take time between launches for this to happen. And the, the most recent one was uh, March 1st, I guess, because we were originally going to record this episode on March 1st, and then we thought maybe we should wait and find out if that launch <laughs> is successful, 
And then we can talk about it. Yes. And much, much better. Yeah, much better than sitting there and going like, well, it's going on right this very yeah, moment. Like, at the moment we're recording this, but as by the time you listen to it, it has already either happened or spectacularly not happened. <laughs> uh, as it turned out, the launch did go off uh, pretty much without a hitch until uh, it became apparent that a couple of the uh, thrusters on the Dragon spacecraft were not responding properly. And there was some concern that uh, there wasn't enough control for it to dock successfully with the International Space Station. But fortunately, uh, for everyone involved, it worked. Right. It worked well enough for them to be able to dock. So um, it definitely, again, brought more scrutiny to SpaceX and probably to those kind of statements about, you know, how safe versus reliable Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. You know, this idea that we really need this to be uh, as as close to um, to perfect as possible, especially once we get to the point where real live human beings right, are right. going to be that, on that board. at a certain point, performance is in fact a a measure of reliability. Yeah, and so yeah. So uh, in 2011, uh, SpaceX began to work on spacecraft to actually carry astronauts, and that was uh, part of an, a NASA award. Mm-hmm. And their first manned flights are expected sometime in 2015. Oh wow. Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously that performance reliability issue needs to be worked out for that because when you're talking about human life, I mean, that's, you know, NASA's had its own share of tragedies as far as the space program is concerned, and no one wants to see a repeat of that. Oh, certainly not. So, so all of this started off when um, uh, the the Dragon was actually also the first privately owned ship to return safely from Earth's orbit, which again is a big thing that Musk goes on. Oh, about. sure, yeah, and uh, again, very important because you want that reusability. You want to be able to reuse as much as you can, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, ideally, he, Musk wants to be able to reuse the rockets themselves, not just the spacecraft. I mean, mm-hmm. spacecraft is is important, but to be able to reuse the rockets would mean a, a dramatic decrease in the cost of production. Uh, and Forbes had an interesting thing. They said that Musk is the space equivalent of a 19th century railroad tycoon poised to make a fortune in private space industry. Because, you know, when when you're the main game mm-hmm. out there, and I've seen a lot of criticisms directed towards SpaceX saying that it's not really a private space company because, because it's funded by NASA. Yeah, because NASA is their chief client, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like really from their perspective, their point is saying that SpaceX is really just a different contractor so that instead of NASA paying one group of contractors like Lockheed and Boeing, it's now paying a different contractor, SpaceX. And so that really the companies have changed, but the game is the same. Right Now, Musk for his part, denies that. He says that, no, no, you're looking at this in far too narrow a field. Yes, right now, NASA is our main client, but that's not how this is going to be in the future. Right. That's only because NASA is the only the only company that really has a company, the only organization that has the amount of dollars to toss it, right. this kind of thing. Right. It's like the reason this that NASA is my customer is because it's the only customer to have right now. That's kind of the point that, that Musk is making. Uh, but that in the future, his customers will be anyone who has the you know, whatever the base price is for you to mm-hmm. take a ride up to Mars or whatever. Um, so meanwhile, while all this SpaceX stuff is going on, other stuff is going on in his life. In 2008, he filed for divorce from Justine Musk. And she does keep that surname. She's mm-hmm. known as Justine Musk. And then six weeks six weeks later, he, was it? Mm-hmm. Six weeks after he files for divorce, he sends a text message to her that says that he's engaged to British actress Tallulah Riley. I think was 23 um, at the time, and yeah. he was maybe, uh, what was that, like 37, something around there? Yeah, uh, and then Justine ended up writing up her experiences with the divorce 
uh, for Marie Claire. I mentioned earlier. Um, it's, it's a really, it's a really oh snap kind of article. If oh, you guys enjoy that sort of thing, it's, um, it's, it's heartbreaking to read too. I mean, you, you hear like apparently at their wedding in the first dance, he said to her, like, I am the alpha in this relationship. And she just kind of shrugged it off at the time, not realizing that he, he meant it. He, he apparently meant it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, um, you know, she has her own perspective. Obviously, and that's that's the perspective that that article's written in. Of course, and, and, and again, Musk is a very private person about about his own life, and so even though even when he's enjoying enormous attention from the press, which he does frequently, he's he's pretty standoffish about these personal details. Yeah, he, so we don't really have his perspective. Exactly. On so we have one side of the story, but it's it's a pretty eye opening and grim story. I mean, it, it, here's one quote from her uh, Marie Claire article. Elon's judgment overruled mine, and he was constantly remarking on the ways he found me lacking. I am your wife, I told him repeatedly, not your employee. If you were my employee, he said just as often, I would fire you. Oh. Yeah. So not the happy household that you would hope. And apparently, uh, you know, they they share joint custody of their sons. Mm -hmm. And apparently uh, she deals with his assistant, when it comes to anything the, that deals with their sons, their mm-hmm. children, yeah. So apparently she has she has next to no contact with him. She has though uh, struck up a friendship with Tallulah Riley. Really? Yeah. Apparently the two women uh, get along very well. And she she had written to her. And this is paraphrasing. I don't have the quote in front of me. Mm-hmm. But she wrote to her saying that I hope that we can be like a French film, where the two women in a man's life can be perfect friends with uh, each other and no one's the bad guy. So not like an American film where you have one person who's clearly the good guy and one person who's clearly the the, the, the seductress, yeah, you right. know, the, the homewrecker or <laughs> mm-hmm. whatever. And Tallulah wrote back and said, let's do as the French do. So it's kind, oh, kind of cute and sweet. It is. That's very sweet. Um, we'll talk more about Tallulah in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there, there was a, there's a lot in that, that article, the, the Marie Claire article that, that is very personally revealing, both for Justine and for Elon. And, uh, if you are interested more in that story and sort of the personal side of Elon Musk, uh, I highly recommend it. It's a great read. You do see that Justine's a very good writer, but it is heartbreaking. Well, we'll toss out a couple links on our social media. Yeah. Now, uh, back to Elon Musk and, and his professional life, mm-hmm. uh, he, what, he's involved in a couple of other companies besides SpaceX. Uh, one of them is called Solar City. Uh, he's the chairman of Solar City, and that's uh, a company obviously that's very uh, concerned with solar power. He mm-hmm. provides strategic direction for the company, and he conceived this company to help combat global warming and minimize air pollution. Oh, right. Uh, what he did was combine several solar power companies, I believe starting in California, but they've spread out across the country, mm. um, to offer solar panel installation on the cheap. Yeah, and I know that uh, at a recent TED Talk, he said that within 20 years, he would expect solar power to become a primary source of energy, which is kind of interesting. Uh, if you know anything about solar power, it's not the most... Efficient. Uh, efficient way of generating energy. So in order for that to happen, not only will we need to create huge solar farms mm-hmm. to harness this energy, but we'll have to Im- improve efficiency on a pretty grand scale to make it useful. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, you know, just, just to just to get people in the door, if, if what you're spending on it costs more than... Yeah. It's never going to catch on. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and there are other elements, literally, that are a concern, like... Uh, 
like like rare earth minerals that are necessary for panels. production. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of issues that need to be worked out. But he's he's very much a, a well, at least he's an evangelist for solar power. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not his vision becomes reality remains to be seen. But he's definitely passionate about it. And, and a, another one of those great quotes from from him uh, is mm-hmm. that he wants to do for solar energy what Dell did for computers. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a pretty good quote. Uh, he, he's also he's known for generating quotes like that. I know, lots I of, love it. Lots of lots of uh, buzzwords and buzz phrases and, mm-hmm. and very punchy, very Twitterific. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and he does he does tweet quite a bit. So in July July 2011, I was about to say July 2011. July. My southern coming out. In July 2011, he donated two hundred fifty thousand dollars via his uh, philanthropic Musk Foundation, which is a charitable organization, not some place where they keep a lot of Musk, which right. is what it's what I first thought <laughs> they, when I read it. But they offer they offer grants for research and uh, educational endeavors. Right, but, but yes, and through that foundation, he donated two hundred fifty thousand dollars to fund a solar power project in the city of Soma, Japan, which was uh, which was one of the locations that was hit by the uh, the tsunami. Yes, the earthquake and tsunami, and in fact, was also in the pathway of the the, the fallout from oh, the wow. nuclear power mm-hmm. plant. So uh, this was sort of a, a way that he saw of alleviating some of the the distress in that area and to help with the energy problems that that area was uh, encountering. Um, and then, of course, we get to the other company he's known for probably one of the, you know, along with SpaceX, I would say that this is the, the most visible of all of his endeavors. Se- se- second, perhaps, to SpaceX in, in that, you know, it's not launching things into space, which carries with it a necessary amount of journalism. But yes, Tesla Motors. Yeah. So Tesla Motors known for uh, creating electric vehicles and not just electric vehicles. The very the very first one, the Tesla Roadster, was known as like the super sexy yeah. sports car electric vehicle. Well, then, and, and, and Musk argues with the, with the concept that they're an electric car company. He said that they're a luxury car company that happens to make electric vehicles. Yeah. And I think that first one was, what, $100,000? thousand dollars uh maybe there was a hundred thousand i would have I, I, something you know i don't have the figure in front of me mm-hmm. it seems to me like that might even be on the low end but uh and it was probably right around there but yeah it was it was known as being the super sexy sleek fast silent car that that, that was the thing that a lot of people you know really focused on was not only was this thing fast but mm-hmm. it was quiet so yeah. it wasn't like other you know, supercharged cars that have these incredibly powerful uh, engines in them. It had this very quiet electric motor. Very quiet, motor. yeah, sure, sure. Um, and, and you know, the the whole Tesla story, again, we'll probably do a full podcast on it someday. Uh, the Tesla Motors, not Nikola Tesla. We already did that one. Um, he, More Tesla, all the Teslas. Sorry, yeah. go ahead, yeah. But uh, another little uh, thing to keep in mind about Elon Musk is if he buys your company, that doesn't necessarily mean you're in good shape because uh, he invested in Tesla in 2004, then he took control of the board of directors, and in 2007, he deposed the founder of the company, Martin Eberhard. So, yeah, he said, I like this, I want it, and now it's, it's mine. mine. Yeah. yeah. That's, I, that's I, us paraphrasing. Huh, right. I, I think Might for, be a little editorializing, for too. For a while there, he was looking for, I think, someone to take over as the CEO and uh, and, and couldn't couldn't find anyone. Well, there there was a time where he had a different CEO in place. Okay. Okay. But there were issues between what Tesla was promising, Tesla Motors was promising, and what they could deliver. Oh, okay. Essentially, they were getting deli- they were getting orders for Tesla Roadsters, and they were having trouble meeting the demand that they were. And it was a limited demand. I'm not saying like thousands of people were buying. Oh, right, them, but, it's a couple hundred on the scale. Yeah, but but it was still difficult for the company to meet that demand. 
And as a result, the company was starting to get into some financial trouble. And so as a response to that, Musk began to do things like lay off employees. And he even ended up firing the CEO he had hired to replace the Uh former CEO. And Mm -hmm. then he assumed the role of CEO. And it was all in an effort, you know, from Musk's point of view, I assume, to keep the company alive. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't just the Roadster that they developed. They developed some other vehicles as well, including an SUV and uh, the Model S, which was the Pre, first world's first premium electric sedan. Uh, the Model X was the SUV minivan, and uh, and he's guiding the development of that. Yeah, so he he definitely is still very much in, uh, involved in that. Uh, recently, there's been a bit of a con- uh, some controversy. The Tesla Roadster has been the victim of. Uh, some poor press, as has the the, um, the yeah. Model S, and there's some dispute about how accurate that was. In fact, uh, outright indignation on the yeah. part of Elon Musk. Um, well, it was it was a it was a New York Times reporter. That was the most correct? recent. Before that, there was an episode of Top Gear. Oh, that's right. Where they drove a Tesla Roadster and then showed people pushing the Roadster back to the studio, mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, Elon Musk said, "I call shenanigans on this because." Um, all the the data from the car shows that there was plenty of energy for it to get back to where it was. They were just doing this for the for purposes, the yeah, mm-hmm. for the purposes of showing like what happens when your electric car runs out of juice. I don't know what happens when your car runs out of gas. Maybe you should watch your charge on it and make sure that you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean that, that was one of the goals of Tesla Motors was to create an electric vehicle that could run on a full charge about as far as a comparable car would on a full tank of gasoline. You know, to get that as close as possible, because I mean that's clearly uh, a big concern that people have with electric cars is the idea that you would run out of juice halfway back from going out, and then what Absolutely. do you do? And, and you know, yeah, and since you don't have a you don't have an electric car station every you know two miles right. like you do a gas station, right? Yeah, what you do you stuck. do? And and so this was sort of playing on those fears, and Tesla was like shenanigans. There was plenty of of juice in that. I mean, I understand what your your concerns are, but we are meeting those concerns by building up these charging stations, particularly in the United States. Well, the New York Times piece that Lauren referred to was an article that uh, also went into detail about the Tesla. I think this was the Model S that was like a, a specific. Um, uh, yes, test it was drive. a Tesla Model mm-hmm. S test drive. And uh, it was John M. Broder who wrote the piece and wrote that uh, it did not perform up to standards and that, in fact, the car died on part of the, one of the legs of the journey and it had to there's, be towed. Yeah, there's a photo of it getting up onto a flatbed. Yeah. And then Elon Musk, again, said, shenanigans part two, and then pulled all the data off the car and showed early, you know, he wrote a blog post that he produced this data and showed it off to everybody. Whether or not the data is accurate, I, I can't say. But it was from his his blog post. He said, this guy did not charge the car as long as it needed to be charged. He was told how long by the car, like you need to charge this much in mm-hmm. order to go that far. And that he stopped charging prematurely, that he still went further than what was projected. So mm-hmm. the car outperformed what it should have been able to do, but it still wasn't able to get through the full leg of the journey because it had not been charged all the way. And that he was doing things like driving around in circles in a parking lot in or, order or to just, wear down the charge. Uh, right, right. And and generally not um, not adhering to the best practices of, I mean, because electric cars will tell you everything about, you know, you can really micromanage how you're using its energy. And, right. And he was not, he was not doing that thing. That's, that's what Elon Musk says. Because again, we don't have the full story here. Mar- Margaret Sullivan, 
who was the uh, editor in charge of this story, says that um, she looked into this and that uh, she felt that Broder was not being dishonest, but that he might have been less uh, accurate than he needed to be. Like he wasn't taking careful enough notes and he uh-huh. wasn't paying enough attention. Attention to what he was doing but in that order she, to. But that she was not, she did not think that it was intentional. That's what she mm-hmm. says. Elon Musk, on the other hand, says that John Broder had just a grudge against electric vehicles in general right. and that this was him carrying a bias over into a test drive and that that was what was guiding him in doing these things. Yeah, Musk's and, uh, response was really quite strong and uh, he, he got a little bit of flack in the press for that. For Yeah, now, well, there's, and there's been a lot of back and forth in the blogosphere uh, between Musk and Broder and as well as uh, with Margaret Sullivan. So it's it's kind of it's it's a lot of trash throwing. Uh, it's kind of interesting to read. I mean, it's entertaining. Uh, <laughs> right. And, and honestly, honestly, I don't know who's in the right in this. I mean, uh, I would like to think that the electric vehicles are really well made and can perform as advertised because mm-hmm. I think electric vehicles could be a wonderful future. A wonderful future. Yeah. Assuming that we find a way to produce that electricity cleanly. Like if we do the solar stuff that te- uh, Tesla, that Musk, Elon, that yeah. Musk uh, imagines Elon, will be Elon, because I'm his buddy now. That's yeah, what I'm calling him. Like, sorry. Your besties. Um, I guess that brings me around to the final bit about Elon Musk. Uh, he got divorced from Tallulah Riley in 2012. He had married her back in uh, 2010. Yes. Uh, supposedly, uh, he they, they were loaned the Google jet for their honeymoon. Yeah. Elon Musk is friends with a lot of uh, people in Silicon Valley, a lot of celebrities mm-hmm. as well. But anyway, yeah, so he, they got divorced in 2012. Uh, she got $4.2 million out of it, keeping in mind that wow. Elon Musk is worth... A couple you know, billion. Than, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So, um, in fact, there were there was at least some reports like she only got four point two million, and I'm thinking, oh poor ah, thing. Sigh. Yeah, <laughs> you add up all the money I've ever made in my life, and I don't come close to that. But yeah, four point two million dollars. But uh, there's a weird happy ending. They're reunited, apparently. Yeah, I think she's moved back, to, back in. Yeah, so. she's trying to make him uh, prevent him from going king crazy. Which she says is a thing in England. Like when you become king, you go nuts. Oh, that seems like she's okay. Like, it's a common phrase I'm back so- where I'm from. I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm an Anglophile, and I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, you know, I'm preventing him from going king crazy or king mad. I know that you've had your share of, you know, mad eccentric, kings. eccentric royals. I, I, yeah, eccentric is, I think, a mild term, but sure. I mean, but but I mean, England has its own way of dealing with them, right? They just put a parking lot over them. All right. Well, that, that wraps up this this profile on Elon Musk. Like we said, we'll probably do profiles on some of the specific companies. I mean, everything from you know PayPal would be a good one. Yeah. Uh, SpaceX and Tesla Motors are all great candidates for future episodes. But if you guys have your own suggestions for episodes we should tackle in the future, I highly suggest you get in touch with us and let us know. Our email address is techstuffatdiscovery.com. Or you can let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle at both those locations is techstuffhsw. And Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 